0: Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut in the sea with doors? And prescribed limits for it. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Who has cleft a channel for the torrent of rain and a way for the thunderbolt? Has the rain a father, or who has begotten the drops of dew? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Have you an arm like God? Suffice to say, the Lord educated Job in this passage as to who he was. Now, Job already, he was a God-fearing man in the beginning of the, the Job narrative, but by this point, I, I believe he was extra God-fearing, encountering the Lord in this whirlwind in the Old Testament book, where we can we can see Job's understanding of God's power deepen as the Lord fires phrase after phrase at him, explaining his his awesome power, and, and still yet Job only seeing a fraction of that power as he reveals himself to the to Job in the whirlwind. It's emphatic and it's beautiful. I'd like to welcome you guys, if you'd open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, and look in verse 16 and verse 17, where we'll be reading from in just a moment, Uh, we'll see one of the most basic, but yet most important teachings of the Bible, and that's the, the awesome power of God. That's what's brought us all together this morning. I'm thankful for you that you're here, and you'll have to forgive the little bit unorthodox intro, but I believe the verses speak for themselves, they're very powerful, and I thought that that would be the most engaging way to wake us up this morning and to help us to to look to the to the creator, to the Lord, uh, help a deliverer and a savior. The Lord doesn't expect us to see his power from afar. He doesn't expect us to just be students of his power, but rather he wants for us to experience and to live and to walk in his power and under his power. I don't believe that we're going to be on the day of judgment stood before the Lord and quizzed on all of our Bible knowledge and all the things that we know from the scriptures. And and who was naming and, and tell me what happened in, in Esther, uh, this chapter and this verse. And, 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 and it's going to be like a veritable quiz show. I don't think that's what that's going to be like. I don't think we're going to have to list off all the mighty works that God has done. I think what it's going to come down to is it's going to come down to the fact of has God's power has an influence and has an impact in your life. I believe that the Lord wants us to be active partakers in His power. He wants for us to be joined with that and joined with Him. That's why He gave us Christ. That's why the Son came wrapped in flesh. So that's why, yes, we can see His power, but we also should abide in it. We should hope in it, rest in it, and live by the faith that it produces. Read with me in Romans chapter 1. And verse 16 through 17, where we read this sentiment in Romans 1, 16 through 17, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith and as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So that's the sermon for this morning, the power of God. And as I was kind of talking with Joshua about this sermon, uh, the fear was that this would be kind of a, Oh, here we go again another basic sermon about Bible authority, about God's authority. And then people are just going to tune out the power of God. What a generic sermon title. Let me tell you this. If that's your thinking, you need to check yourself. Because this is the most important doctrine in the entire Bible. And this this is very, very vital for our understanding. And there's a million different ways that we can deepen our understanding of it. And we need more of it. I guarantee you, I need more of it. So before we go on and we, you start tuning me out and you say, I know everything there is to know about the power of God, and, and I don't need to talk about that anymore, and we don't need any more lessons like that, or, or et cetera, I just, I'm going to ask you this in, in complete humility. Have you an arm like God? Do you think you really understand the power of God? Do you think that even after this lesson we're going to even understand one fragment of God's power? That's, that's my challenge to you in this lesson and I hope that it will motivate you to, to look at this with a fresh set of eyes and have faith like a child as we talk about God's power. You know, when you look up, you look up to your dad or, or whoever your father figures in your life, you know, little kids get in playground arguments over, my dad can beat up your dad because they think their dad's like the toughest guy in the world and, and, he, and he can do anything. And, and when we look up to God, we need to look at him as our father. He is powerful. And, and, and certainly the reality is that God is, well, he's much more powerful than we are. Look with me in Genesis, the third chapter. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 26. Where we can see kind of our place in this equation. And, and some of us may be tempted to read this and think, man, humans, well, well, well we're, we're pretty awesome. And, and there's, there's a degree where that's true. But look in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 26 and verse 27. So on earth, yeah, we're at the top of the food chain, but God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. So what does it mean for me to serve a God that is responsible for my creation? What does it mean for me to to, to serve that God? Well, number one, it means that everything that I have is because of Him. Everything that's good that we have comes from Him. And and that's important for us to understand because we look in this Genesis passage and we're tempted to think, and we look out at the the application of this Genesis passage and we think mankind is such a dominant force in this world. We have so much leverage and we have so much control and we, we have X, Y, or Z. But here's the thing. Deep inside, we all know that that that, that we're broken and we're weak, and, and the Lord knows that about the about us. Look in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 10. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 10, we we see that we we can't hide anything from God. You know, sometimes I my fears, like we're in the foyer and we try to hide our struggles from each other the best we can. Now there's no hide in my struggle. You can see it out there in the parking lot. Okay, that car is doused in mud. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm gonna stop cracking jokes about the car in the mud. But 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 our struggles, we try to hide them, and we're out in the foyer, and we're shaking hands, and I'm doing fine, brother. How are you? Doing fine, okay? And I don't expect you to tell me every time you stub your toe, but I'm saying again, we we need to acknowledge our own weaknesses, and we need to be okay with that, and we need to be able to own that, because the Lord, it says, the Lord searches the heart and tests the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So there's nothing we can hide away from God. Now that idea promotes honesty not just honesty with each other in the foyer and whatnot but honesty with ourselves if we can't hide the deepest depths of ourselves from God well then what's the point in trying to to lie to others or, or to ourselves all things are going to come to bear we can try and run but you can't out you, you you cannot outrun the arm of the lord still yet every single day what do we do we try to keep our heads up we try to give the impression that we're not struggling but that and that we're making it just fine but the truth is we all have our struggles don't we we all have regrets, we have temptations, we have pain, and we have a lot of excuses. God sees all those. Flip, it, flip to Exodus 14. Flip to Exodus 14. We're active in our Bibles this morning. Exodus 14, verse 10. God has seen us all at our breaking point, at our tipping point. Now, I know we've all been there. I know we've all been there. And, and, and over the last, I'd say, month, I feel like I've been there many, many times where I'm just, you know, I, I feel like I'm right at that precipice of what I can take. But. God's seen us there every single time. He's seen us stand at at what we look at as impossible, as as a mountain that we can't climb. And He's seen us every time. He's seen us through those things. Exodus 14 and look in verse 10 of how He sees us, uh, how He sees His people, rather, standing at what seems impossible, and how He makes that possible. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. This is the Exodus here. And they feared greatly, and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? So the people of God, they were enslaved. But they're still, they're still recipients of the promises that were given to Abraham all the way back. And Moses is, is there and he's given to them as, a, as kind of a, a shepherd, a deliverer on earth. But he leads them. And, and, and they walk and they, they, they find themselves in a situation where they're standing at the edge of the Red Sea. And it looks like they've got themselves into a mess that they can't get out of. But the reality is that the Lord was with them. So in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And then in verse 21, the Lord does exactly what he promised and he rips the sea in half. He cleaves a sea into two pieces. He parts the waters for his people. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live a life under the power of God? Well, it means that even if it looks hopeless and even if it looks impossible and even if it looks like there's no coming out of this, that there is. Even if it looks like you can't, you better hold that hope. And the truth is you might not be able to on your own, but it means that no matter how much you mess things up, it means that no matter how much you've ran yourself to the edge of the Red Sea and no matter the weight of your mistakes, that God has the strength to lift those. I tell y'all, I had a buddy named Matt. And he and I, we would sit and I would have so many conversations uh, in the late hours, midnight and beyond, sitting in my car, just talking about spiritual things. And now Matt's what a lot of us would refer to as a Gentile or maybe even a heathen. He was a a very irreligious person, but very open-minded. And we would sit and we would talk and he would say, man, I just think I've got too many demons and I don't think that I'll ever be good enough. And I don't think I'll ever be strong enough to overcome these things. That's why I'm not a Christian. And I, th- I, I wish I would have just had a little bit more time, but Matt, Matt ended up going on. But I wish I had a little bit more time with him. Because if I did, then I could have helped him get from there to where he needed to go. Because that's the first step is we've got to realize that, yeah, we can't get there on our own. And we can't make it on our own. And that, 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 that we find ourselves in those situations that we need God to get us out of them. That, yeah, okay, maybe my buddy wasn't good enough. And you know what? Certainly I'm not good enough. And I, I don't think any of us here thinks that we're good enough for heaven... But God is, and God is strong enough, and He's strong, strong to deliver us. We're Christians. God's working with us, helping us. So who is it, th- who is it then to say that you, Christian, can't, can, can get in your own way so much that you can't overcome the sins that keep coming back and tormenting you over and over again, those things that you struggle with every day that you try to feat, fight and beat down? Who's to say that you can't deepen your prayer life and you can't talk with God more? Who's to give excuse for that? Who's to say that you can't be more of a servant and you can't help out somebody who's stuck in the mud? Who's to say that you can't forgive those who have harmed you? Who's to say that you can't share the gospel with someone? You see your friends out in the world and, and you wonder, oh, why, why are they like this? Why, are they, why, are they, why, why do they live this way? Who's to say that you can't help them? Who's to say that you can't be the pivot point for them? Who's to say that you can't be the kind of person that would walk up the hill of Calvary? And that would give their life for the people that they loved. Who's to say that we can't overcome sin. Get to know Jesus more. Grow closer to each other. And grow closer to God. There's nothing that can stop us. Not a Red Sea. Not anything. Do you believe God's power is working in you? Look at Hebrews 12 12 and verse 12. you believe God's power is working in you? And in us? Then why not? What could ever stop us from doing all these things? from just growing and being better and grinding and doing work for the Lord? You know the answer. Nothing can stop us. Nothing can stop us. As long as we're moving with faith in God, nothing can stop us. Hebrews 12, 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. If our salvation depended, depended on our own power, we wouldn't make it. But humbling ourselves and trusting God to take us home should remove so much pressure from us. If we put all the pressure on ourselves, again, and all those other examples of, of, man, I've got to figure out a way that I can overcome this sin, and I've got to to be strong enough to overcome this sin on my own, you're never going to do it. If you say, man, like, uh, I want to help out my friends who... Who, who are down on their luck out in the world. I want, I want to help show them a better way. You're not going to help them without God. He's got to be leading the way. If you were to share the gospel with someone. It's not a matter of I'm learning this more and more. Especially as I, I, tr- I try to train and, and, and be an evangelist. It's not about how charismatic I can be. It doesn't matter how much people skills I have. It doesn't matter if, if I look like I'm put together in my appearance. It matters How much faith I have in God and he's going to give those opportunities Uh, Ultimately the word is going to be the compass. So next time you look in the mirror and you think i'm not good enough and I can't do this Change your focus Stop looking here and start looking up there You fix yourself repent of your sins But align your will with god and remember who you belong to before you start saying i'm not strong enough Like it's an excuse because it's not that's the reason that we serve god is because we're not strong enough So good. We establish God can take care of us. Bring us home no matter how far away we stray. Fix us no matter how badly we break ourselves. However, things can happen to to, to break us that that we legitimately have no control over. But I promise, God's going to be stronger than that. He's going to be stronger than our circumstances. Genesis, again, Genesis chapter 6 this time. Genesis chapter 6 verse 28 Genesis, Genesis 6, verse 28. Now, again, we, we like to think we're the top of the food chain. We like to feel as though we have some degree or, or measure of control in the world. And it makes sense that we feel like that because we do have a lot of control and we're blessed with much. And we've been given all the resources on the earth. Genesis 6, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish in the sea and over the birds of the heavens. And over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, the breath of life. I've given you every green plant for food. And it was so. What have we done with this? What have we done with this? We, we've been given all these things. We've been given resources, dominion over the earth and all these minerals. Man, we took rocks and minerals from those rocks. And we grounded and pounded and broke those down. And, and we made windows. And we, we we erected this building from trees and forests. And our cars and, and things are molded from minerals we found in the earth. And made with gears that turn. And they slam and they hit the ground. And they hit the ground at like going 60 miles per hour over blacktop. And we can move at speeds. We never thought we could move. We could go up in the air and fly in a plane. We could contact each other from miles and countries away. Just click of a button. Humans are awesome. Don't get me wrong. Humans are amazing. And we, but, but when we think about all this, sometimes we think, how powerful man is. How powerful I am to be a part of, of mankind. The number one, the top dogs. I start thinking that way, and I say, yeah, all right. I feel pretty good. And we're in America, probably number one superpower in the world. We start feeling good about ourselves. But then what? Then I stub my toe. Then I get a cold. Then somebody says something to me at the cash register where I'm getting my gas at the gas station that kind of hurts my feelings and I feel like crying when I get down to my car. And I think, how frail we are. But we've been blessed with a lot. We've been blessed with a lot. But it all comes from God. Remember Job from the beginning of the lesson. And and turn to Job chapter 1. Turn to Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Job had many blessings from the Lord. Job wasn't a poor man. He was a man of wealth, and and he knew where those came from. It wasn't Job's fault that tragedy struck him. Still yet, it struck him. So what was his response when he lost not just all these possessions, but even his children? Job 1, verse 20 through 21. Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground. And what? He worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job knew that no matter what, God was greater than his circumstances. It didn't matter how little or how much he had, that he still was going to honor God. And he decided to worship in times of woe and in, time, in times of pain. He still worshiped. He didn't blame the Lord for his strife right there. He had the right attitude. He didn't go shaking his fist at God. He went bowing his face to the earth. One lesson I was taught when I was learning to drive and some of y'all again after this morning are going to say hey, I don't know if you really did ever learn how to drive but but one, I, one lesson I was taught when I was learning to drive was always this. When you're out on the highway once you, start, once you get a hang of it you don't have to worry so much about yourself. You've got to worry about everything else around you and everybody else around you. And I think that's true. Because we're just one variable amongst many. The world is full of Potential happenstance the rain could pour so hard that uh, We're driving down this road and 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 we're surrounded by all these other cars and and the rain could just start pouring down So hard that we just lose traction in our tires a tree could fall in the middle of the road Someone else could swerve and ding and hit us in all these situations doesn't matter If you've if you've just got it doesn't matter if you've just gotten your learner's permit Or if you've been driving professionally for nascar if these things happen You're going to to get yourself in some consequences. And and the wise man points this out in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 11. I think this is deep and and very, very profound wisdom. Again, I saw that under the race, that, that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Truth is, we can come under some pretty bad circumstances that may or may not have anything to do with us. Maybe, maybe you got loved ones that you try your best to love them and show, show them Jesus. They just don't love you back the same, and they don't treat you the same. Maybe you've got a job, and, and sometimes you hate your job. Maybe, maybe you go in, and you don't feel fulfilled in your work. Maybe you or somebody you know is has just come down, and they're just sick, and that just happened. Maybe this maybe that so many different things can occur that are out of our control you name it well when we find ourselves in those situations if we do anything we need to keep faith, faithful first corinthians chapter 7 first corinthians chapter 7 I, I have it on good authority that you guys have talked about this passage recently in the the wednesday night auditorium class so uh, my apologies at this point is being belabored or, or i'm beating a dead horse here but i think this is absolutely important for us to understand as we Think about our relationship to God. First Corinthians chapter seven and verse twenty through twenty four. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant or a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was, was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bond servant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. That last, those last two words are where it counts, isn't it? There let him remain with God. So no matter what your circumstances are, you can still have partnership with God. But you have to rely on His power. He may not ease all of our burdens in this life. He may not give you the promotion that you want or the new job that you want. He may not heal that sick person that we want to see healed. And, and he may not re, set things up so that your family is reconciled and, and all that. He may not do that. And we may have to struggle here on this earth. And he may allow us to be tested. Why? Because he wants to see us a people that trust in his power that he can deliver us from anything. Anything. Yes. Yes. Anything, even the unthinkable, even the seemingly impossible. That's what's so amazing about Christ. He didn't do anything to deserve his circumstances, to deserve the cross, but they took him to task anyway. He gave his life willingly for sins he did not commit for our sins. And he knew ultimately that the power of God, that it wasn't even subject to death. Look in John chapter 20. Let's read about Let's read about this this amazing news in John chapter 20 and verse 1 through 10. John chapter 20, verse 1 through 10. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. This is right after the crucifixion has occurred. Days have passed. Jesus was in the tomb. And while it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The thing was sealed off by the Romans. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths, and he saw the linen cloths cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen, linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then disciples went back to their homes. The disciples, what were they expecting of Jesus Christ? They were expecting him to lead an an earthly revolt to the Romans to usurp and upheave their authority and to, to, to establish that earthly kingdom and that earthly empire. And, and, and the Jewish nation and, and that physical kingdom. So then when they see him on the cross, what do they think? Maybe he failed. And they're heartbroken. And they all disperse and, and, and go back and they're licking their wounds and they're feeling discouraged by this. And history bears that out that they were just uh, just a wave of, of, of sadness and discouragement. But then I believe this is the strongest evidence for the resurrection. Mary Magdalene comes in verse 18 and she tells them, I've seen the Lord. And so the revelation that Jesus defeated death, the the one thing that I think every one of us here is trying to avoid, obviously you're still here, Jesus defeated it. He didn't run from it. He stared the abyss in the face. He went in, conquered it, and came back out of it on the other side in one piece. Think about that. Think about the power behind that. You know, what we see recorded in the later epistles is incredible. And it's faith building. When we read these New Testament epistles, and when I read these at least, I sure hope that we're not just reading a list of rules. What we're reading is the result of toils, of work, and of effort, of these men who were encouraged by seeing the risen Jesus. You know, if if they hadn't seen the risen Lord, do we think that any of these people would have had the courage to write the bold and the challenging things that they wrote? Do you think Paul would have converted out of Judaism and risked his head day after day, been imprisoned, beaten, shipwrecked, etc., etc., on and on and suffered so much, shed blood, sweat, and tears, if he hadn't really seen the risen Lord on the road to Damascus? Jesus came back and he's coming again and and they do that. So that's why they were preparing this. They could have said this. They could have said, man, we're just tax collectors. We're just fishermen. We're fishermen. We're common men. We can't do this. We we're not. We're we're not expert politicians. We're not crafty. We're not more. We're not religious figures. We can't do this. We can't spread this gospel. We can't do the things that Christ asked us to do. They could have said that. We could say that. But we'd be wrong. And they knew that. And that's why they wrote the things that they wrote to us to encourage us. They could have said, Man, the state's going to kill us if we do this. And they did. The state did kill them for doing that. But they put their heads on the chopping block for that. And they didn't use the anti Christian world that they were living in as an excuse not to give their lives. Look at that hardship. They knew that God defeated death. And they weren't afraid of death anymore. So what's our excuse? What's your excuse, Christian? For not living to that standard every day. I know I don't have one. I'm not coming I'm not coming from a holier than thou perspective when I'm saying this. We are left without any excuse, every single one of us myself included, for not being as faithful as we can be when we're not. For not looking to the cross and saying, I'd do that. I'd give my life. I'd give anything for that. And you, Christian, you're not just your sins. You're not just a victim of circumstance. You're blood bought. You can defy death. We can, together. And we have to do away with all of the excuses that inhibit us from walking that road to Calvary, so to speak. One final passage. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 through 21. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able... To do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Truth is, sometimes we don't think we can. We don't think that that we can do all this. That we can fulfill these commands. That we can go out in this community and be a light. That we can change people's lives. That we can show them the gospel. That we can show them Christ. That we can do what Jesus did and give our lives for God. We could bear the cross that we could do Matthew sixteen twenty four. But you know what I read? I read that with Ephesians chapter three and verse twenty through twenty one that we can. That that if we say we we're not sure that we that we have our doubts and we have our struggles and we have our faults and we have things that we deal with, that God says, I can do far more abundantly than you ask or that you could even think of. I can do far more abundantly than you can imagine. I can split the sea for you. I can I can give you I can give you hope. I can do what I did for Job. I can take everything and give everything back tenfold. That's what God knows. Do You know that. We put our fear behind us when I ask you this. Can you overcome that sin that keeps clawing at your back? Can we pray the prayers that need to be prayed? Can we go out and can we live like servants? Can we go out and can we make disciples? Can we? And I'm not saying go out and get people wet. And I'm not saying to go out and convince people that we're right and they're wrong. I'm saying, can we make disciples? Yes, we can. It doesn't matter how anti-Christian we think the world is. We can go out and we can change that. I want for all of us to be able to say, we can do all that. But only with the power of God. And that's the lesson, brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, my beloved friends. That's the, that's the, the, the crux of the lesson. Have you actively access the power of God? Or are you under another power? There's only two options. You can be abiding under the power of God, or you can be abiding under the authority and the power and the thumb of Satan. Where do you line up? Like I said, you might be telling me, I can't give my life for God. It's too hard. You might have been like my friend Matt. My friend Matt didn't get it tomorrow. You might not get it tomorrow. You might think, I can't. It's, there's just too many barriers. Tear them down. Tear them all down. It doesn't matter what your friends think. It doesn't matter what your family would say. It doesn't. It doesn't matter X, Y, or Z. Plug in your excuse there. God's stronger than your excuses. Be under his power and be in subjection to him. Give your life for him. The baptistry is ready. You can die with Christ. You can be reborn and you can access that power that is over. He's stronger than you. He's stronger than your situations. And yes, he is stronger than death. All you've got to do is come forward as we stand and as we sing.